Participate, engage, speak out, use your voice to be an effective advocate. The Voices in Advocacy podcast examines the diverse landscape of advocacy, exploring the ins and outs of building influence, driving change, and creating champion advocates. It's now time for the Voices in Advocacy podcast with your host, Roger Rickard. Hello, and I hope you are continuing to enjoy season three of the Voices in Advocacy podcast. I'm Roger Rickard, president and founder of Voices in Advocacy, where we work with organizations to inspire, educate, engage, and activate your supporters by turning them into effective, influential advocates. And this is the podcast dedicated to the art of advocacy. This podcast is for the people that work and engage in advocacy efforts for their organization, be they corporations, associations, trade organizations, and nonprofit cause groups. Now, let's get started. I am very excited to have on today's show, Zach Schamberg, President and CEO of the Pennsylvania Healthcare Association, known as PCHA. Now, Zach is also the former Director of Government Affairs at PHCA, and he was also a Chief of Staff to a State Representative, Todd Stevens. Zach was recently named to the Healthcare Power 100 by City and State Pennsylvania, a statewide political publication. Congratulations for that. He earned a BA in Communications, Politics, and a Master's of Business Administration from the best university in the land, the Pennsylvania State University, the home of the mighty Nittley Lions. Now, full disclosure, Zach knows this, I am a fellow Nittley Lion, so I had to really put on the juice there. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome Zach to today's show. Hey, Zach, how are you? Hey, Roger. Thank you for having me. I don't know how I'm going to live up to that introduction. That was one of the best introductions anyone has ever given me. I'm going to definitely make sure my wife hears this podcast when you publish it. That I will tell you. Yeah. And and you can also make sure you tell Alexa, you know, so if you have Alexa at home, you can say, hey, Alexa, play the Voices and Advocacy podcast and then just bring it right out to your wife. Great That's idea, right. Zach. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, for those that may not know, first of all, what is the mission of the Pennsylvania Healthcare Association and who, who do you serve? Yeah, well, first, who we serve is long-term care throughout the state of Pennsylvania. That's nursing homes, that's personal care homes, that's assisted living communities. We represent the providers themselves. We also represent the workers who are on the front lines. And I think most important, we represent the residents they serve, the vulnerable senior citizens of Pennsylvania. And I will tell you, Roger, our mission has become even more critical to serve as a voice for those facilities, those workers, and those residents since March 2020 and the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, because it's our industry that has become and has remained the epicenter of the pandemic in many ways. And really, throughout the past 19 months, we've acted, or our association has has acted as the conduit between those on the front lines and those in state government, our governor, our legislature, even those in Washington, D.C., our role has never been more important than it's been throughout the last 19 months. Yeah, you you were you were the forefront. You were, you know, 
with what happened uh, beginning in, I guess, in the state of Washington. That's, uh, well, that's ex that's exactly that was right. The epicenter. And, yeah. That's exactly right. And, you know, I can recall days in February 2020 when we were seeing what was happening in a nursing home in Seattle, Washington, where, to your point, we saw the first confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the United States. And I'll, I'll never forget, and I think it's important to, to note, I had a call in mid-February with my counterpart in Washington State, and I asked him, you know, if this somehow makes its way to Pennsylvania, do we need to be ready? And if so, what do we need to be ready for? And many of the issues that he brought up with me, whether it was the need for PPE, personal protective equipment, the need for workers, the need for the National Guard, the need for resources for support, that was very prescient because he was exactly right. And throughout the last 19 months, we fought for all those things and more. Yeah, yeah, it, uh, it, it, it's, it's fascinating and unfortunate in your case uh, to have a limelight be, be put on this, uh, but it showed a vulnerability and a weakness in, in some respects in a system not necessarily what your people do, what the workers do, but a vulnerability for your residents and the, and the citizens that you're serving there. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And, and it's unfortunate to your point that it took the COVID-19 pandemic to shine that light on this industry and its vulnerabilities and its weaknesses and really the need for support for the industry. But that's exactly what happened. I mean, the last 19 months, and, and we're talking about advocacy, the last 19 months, have provided this industry and associations like ours with not just a microphone, but a bullhorn to talk about the need for support and to talk about the need for investment, whether it's for Medicaid and Medicare, whether it's for workforce, for the regulatory climate, the legal climate, whatever it is, it's given us this great opportunity. And I, I can tell you, and I'm very proud to tell you that here at PHCA, we've taken full advantage of that opportunity, and we've advocated unlike we've ever advocated before. Yeah, and I'm sure you, I'm sure you must. And it's not going to startle anybody that pays attention that we have an aging population. And I've heard you spout demographic uh, demographic statistics about the aging populations in Pennsylvania, which may really startle some people. Can you kind of share a few of those highlights? Yeah, well, we're the third oldest state in terms of our population in the entire country. Our fastest growing demographic is age 65 or age 85, excuse me, and older. And we're very quickly coming to the point where we are approaching the silver tsunami in that the baby boomers are going to age into the demographic that is most in need of long-term care. And here in Pennsylvania, we anticipate that there are going to be tens of thousands of open positions in long-term care and in healthcare, so that as our population ages rapidly and we don't maintain our college graduates, our high school graduates here, that we're just not going to be able to meet our obligation to our senior citizens and care for them. And this is something that we've certainly sounded the alarm on before, certainly before the pandemic. But the last 19 months have really accelerated and exacerbated this issue to the point now where we just put out a survey two weeks ago 
that we conducted amongst our members, nursing homes, personal care homes, and assisted living communities. And they told us that there are workforce challenges that are quite literally preventing providers from accepting new admissions or new residents. In other words, they're, they're having to close their doors because they don't have enough caregivers to care for a new resident. And if you're the family member of someone who needs care in Pennsylvania, that should be very alarming. That should be very startling to you. So we're in a very dangerous place right now. And again, we need support, we need investment, and we need to make sure that we're gonna to continue to be able to care for our seniors here. Yeah, and, and there's no question, uh, as part of not only what you call the silver tsunami, which I, I, I actually love that term, but also the fact of what we've dealt with for the last 18, 19 months, uh, with the COVID pandemic and with workforce and, and fear, workforce development has got to be probably your number one, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but your number one priority. And if not, then what are those key priorities? Yeah, well, no, that's exactly right. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Number one is workforce and workforce development. So it's important to note that prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, long-term care was facing a workforce shortage. I talked about the aging population. And in August 2019, Pennsylvania's then Auditor General actually published a report that was called Who Will Care for Mom and Dad? And what was supposed to be this look at our Department of Health actually morphed into an expose on the need for caregivers and for trained caregivers. And that was prior to the pandemic. So what we saw at the beginning of March and April and May of 2020 was that we had many workers leave the front lines for fear of COVID-19. They didn't want to bring it back to their elderly parents, their children. That makes sense. Now we're starting to see our workforce who have been in these positions 10, 20, 30 years just getting burned out. There's fatigue, there's exhaustion because of all the things that they've had to do and we're losing workers there. And, and, they, them, and they themselves may be aging out. And that's exactly right. So we've got to build that robust workforce pipeline so that we're not just covered today and tomorrow, so again, we can meet our commitment to caring for our seniors over the next five to 10 years. So that's the number one goal. It's the number one message that we're sharing here in Harrisburg. Uh, and, and, and it's an absolutely key message. I wanted to ask you, and I think I probably even know where you're going to go with this now, but I wanted to ask you, where do you see uh, your industry and the people you serve, where do you see it in 10 years from now? It's a great question. I, I think everybody is trying to figure that out right now in long-term care. And again, as we look back at the last 19 months, the pandemic really shone a bright light on some of the vulnerabilities and the weaknesses of our long-term care continuum and the long-term care system. I mean, right now, to give you an example, nursing homes in Pennsylvania rely on the state's Medicaid program to reimburse for more than 70% of all the care that's provided. This is also a Medicaid system that hasn't kept pace with rising costs in Pennsylvania since 2014 for almost 10 years. So providers who aren't receiving an adequate Medicaid reimbursement 
have to cut elsewhere. They can't invest in their staff. They can't invest in the care they provide in their facilities and technology. So one is, I, I think that over the next few years, we've identified the, the things that need to change and the investments that need to be made. But I think more and more, you're going to see, especially as the baby boomers age into place and age into the demographic most in need of long-term care, that's going to be a different type of customer. And the nursing homes and even the assisted living communities and personal care homes of just the last five to 10 years are going to have to change their model. There's going to be different wants and different needs of that baby boomer population, whether it's private rooms or more technology, um, more ability to go out and travel. We're going to have to take all of that into account. So I really do think right now, the system is in a good position where we can look at it, we can examine it, and we can change it for the better and for the best needs of our customers and our residents moving forward. Yeah, the, the totality of care is more than just putting a head in the bed. Uh, it's all those other factors that you brought up. And I wanted to reiterate that because I think it's really important that listeners know and understand the diversity of what has to take place to be able to please who the, who, who the customer is and the people that are necessarily putting the customer into that long-term term facility. Uh, I have worked with other state healthcare associations, I shared that with you a little bit earlier, that hold state capital legislative days. Does Pennsylvania? So we used to, and you mentioned that I was the director of government affairs here at PHCA. So for, for as long as I can remember, and I came into this position in 2014, we had held advocacy days at the Capitol. We would bring 500 or so provider members. We would go to the Capitol. We'd set up meetings. We'd do a rally in the afternoon, and then we'd send everybody home. But to be honest, Roger, what I found, and, and this, is not to, um, this, this is not to speak poorly about any other advocacy day that takes place for any other group. But what we found in Pennsylvania was that we weren't seeing the return on investment with this day, because what we were getting was a one-time opportunity to send folks in to talk to their legislator, they'd leave, and that would be it. And we were finding that 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 wasn't getting the job done in terms of the priorities that we wanted to get done and the messages that we wanted to send. So we moved away from that. And what we did instead, my first year in this role in 2019, was that we did it in waves by company. So every week there was a session week, we held advocacy days where we would bring companies here in groups of 15 to 20, we would send them into the Capitol so that they would be meeting with a legislator, just one or two people versus 10 or 15, and had been, as had been done in prior years. And we would hit those same legislators or touch those same legislators week after week after week to the point where I would get calls in May and June from our state <laughs> legislators saying, all right, Zach, I get it. Right. I get it. I, I'm going to help you. We know what you want. We found that to be much more productive than just a one-day advocacy day. And I think we're going to continue that moving forward. Well, you know, and I particularly think on a state level, that's really, really important uh, because these are the people that spend an, an awful lot of time in your community and, and knowing 
who those people are in their district more intimately uh, pro provides, a, uh, I think, a, a deeper grounded relationship that goes two ways. Not only you advocating and having your people advocate for what you want, but them realizing that they now have a resource if they have a question. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And we always position ourselves, and I think any group or association should position itself as a resource for that member of the legislature. And, you know, I, I pride this association on ensuring that our members are not just going to their legislators to make an ask. There's got to be that periodic check-in to talk about how things are going, to talk about the challenges. It shouldn't be just once every year to say, hey, we need more funding, or hey, we need this bill to pass. To your point, it's all about building a relationship, and it's all about maintaining that relationship so that we can be a resource, that the legislators can be a resource, and that we've got that continuing dialogue throughout the year. Well, and then when you begin, <laughs> when you begin dating legislators, uh, it takes more than one date a year to, to move into a marriage phase or even a, uh, an engagement phase uh, uh, with them. So I absolutely agree with that. And I have seen that with what I think are some of the most progressive organizations, even on the national level. I happen to do an awful lot of work with the agriculture industry and uh, uh, the American Farm Bureau. Uh, they're sending people there constantly beating down the doors and they do it either by regions or by states but so they're targeting who they want to see and how they want to see them so that brings up a little bit more of a unique question that i have from a standpoint of since you're targeting people and each week that they're in session you're sending some group of people there how are you growing who those advocates are and how are you preparing them well, one, how are we growing them? I think it's all about communicating the importance and communicating the benefits and showing real results. I mean, for many years, unfortunately, we were stuck in a pattern where we weren't seeing legislation move and we weren't seeing investments in our Medicaid program or in any of the other payments that go to long-term care providers. But when you can show real results and when you can tell your members that, hey, your visits made a difference and here's exactly what it means to the industry and what it me should mean to you or what it will mean to you, I think that keeps folks coming back. So again, I, I, I don't want to discount the importance of always reporting back to your members to say, here's what you did and here's why it's important. I think sometimes a lot of groups miss that step, and it's arguably the most important step in the entire process. In terms of getting people ready and prepared for an advocacy day like this, we do conference calls, we do emails, we do webinars, just talking about what we're advocating for. And ultimately, and I think, Roger, this is the most important part. You know, I can craft talking points, and we can craft talking points to what we think our members should be saying. And maybe this is just sp specific to healthcare or long-term care, but with our advocates, their personal stories and what they see every day and what an investment in the Medicaid program would mean to them, that is infinitely more powerful 
than any message that I could craft. So we really encourage our advocates to speak from the heart and to talk about what they do every day. And it also brings up another point. I wanted to make sure I mentioned this. We do those visits here in the Capitol in Harrisburg, but it's also very powerful to bring a legislator to one of our facilities. Now, obviously that was a lot easier before the pandemic. We haven't been able to do that for 19 months, but to walk a legislator through a nursing home and just live an hour in our shoes, again, has been very, very impactful for us. And I think it's an important point to make. Yeah, I, I know that the, the the hotel industry does that an awful lot with trying to get people uh, in to see the hotel and to see the back end and see how many workers and what the different roles are uh, in theirs. And, and absolutely site visits uh, are vitally important. You brought up uh, educating and communicating with your members. Those of us that have been in the trenches know that you don't often walk in with an issue, get someone immediately putting it into legislation, running it through committee, getting it on the floor, passing both chambers, getting a governor in your, in, at the state level uh, to sign off on that quickly. It's a process. And I think part of the education process is is allowing your members to know what that process is and that it takes time and that that's why the relationship development over a period of time helps reduce that longevity of getting something through. And uh, you find that that's one of the hardest things is, is to show members how that happens and have them trust that what you're saying, I know it's legitimate. You know it's legitimate. People in advocacy know that's how it happens. Well, getting the average citizen. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was having this conversation with one of our member organizations this morning, actually, and it was about the legislative process and how that process can be very frustrating or very discouraging. I mean, we always hear, you know, sound bites about how government should run like a private business. It, It just, the legislative process doesn't work that way. I can tell you here at PHCA, we supported legislation that was focused on tort reform or lawsuit abuse reform in Pennsylvania for long-term care specifically. And we fought for many, many years to get a bill across the finish line, and it never happened. We spent many, many days at the Capitol and, and traveling throughout Pennsylvania to get it done, but it never happened. And sometimes, and it, it, it's difficult to understand this, even as someone who's done this for almost 10 years, but sometimes it takes session after session after session for legislators to understand the importance of legislation, for a governor, for a Department of Health and Human Services to understand the importance of legislation and to get something through. You know, I see bill after bill that passes the Senate or the House unanimously and then doesn't move. And we constantly ha- you know, get questions, well, how is that possible? It's the legislative process. And it can be, it can be a discouraging process, but it, but it takes time. And you brought up a great point. It's all about educating and informing our members to help them understand that this may not get done today or tomorrow, but what you're doing today is important in the ultimate path of this bill. 
Yeah, Michelangelo did build David with one chip. <laughs> right. He didn't, he didn't hit the hammer once and it fall apart. It takes it it takes time and all the old jokes of how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time. Hey, I want I want people to realize something about Pennsylvania legislature. Uh, I, I'm now in Arizona, and geographically, our state is three times the size of the state of Pennsylvania. Yet we have only 30 districts total in the state. And that means that there's 30 state senators and there's 60 uh, state senators, two from each of the, the, the same size Senate districts. Tell people that don't know, how many members of the House of Representatives in Pennsylvania? We have 203. You know, I, I wrote down 202 and I couldn't remember. You were close. That's why, I, that's why I was asking you exactly. But there's only 30 U.S. Uh, state senators, correct? There, Well, there's no, 50, 50, 50, 50 state right. senators, 203 House members, governor, so on and so forth. Boy, the senator I used to work for would be really discouraged that I had forgot that number. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that makes things complex in the fact that you have so many people that you need to report to. That's right. And and not only that, here in Pennsylvania, we have a Democratic governor and a Republican House and Senate. And it's very tough to navigate issues for every group here. It's very tough to navigate the issues because especially right now where our political parties are so polarized, it's hard to please that Republican legislature while at the same time pleasing a Democratic governor and a Democratic administration. So, you know, for advocates, you really have to walk that fine line of attempting to appease everybody in both parties. That can be challenging. It always is, always has been. But to your point, with the temperature being raised where it is these days, uh, that, that becomes much more difficult. So with that, then... What does better influence look like in the long-term care industry? When, what do you mean when you say better influence? What do you mean by that? Well, what does better influence look like in your ability to get it over the finish line? <clears throat> I mean, I, I, I you've think addressed again, some of those things, I think, earlier with yeah, the, I, I the think approach again, you're taking. I think, again, it's being able to share our story from the front so for years, we fought for a, a spot in the spotlight. We fought for the microphone. And as I said earlier, the past 19 months haven't given us our industry a microphone. It's given us a bullhorn. We just have to use it. And it's sharing the needs. It's sharing the stories. It's sharing the vulnerabilities. And it's sharing the things that this industry must have moving forward. And again, in Pennsylvania, one of the oldest states in the country, in terms of our population, there is a real need. And there has to be a recognition that we need to build our workforce pipeline. We need an investment in Medicaid. We need to clean up our regulatory climate, as well as our legal climate. Because if we don't, we're going to have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of senior citizens who aren't going to be able to receive the care that they need. There's, there's not going to be a place for them. And again, that should alarm everyone in Pennsylvania, should alarm every legislator in Pennsylvania. So it's communicating that warning 
and that need, and then getting the job done in that investment for the sector. Yeah, I think vulnerability is is a really, really good term here because uh, it's giving you the opportunity to be able to speak out and, and, and to be able to show, I'm sure, on the curve, this isn't going to get better. It's only going to accelerate at a pace that we could be out of control if we don't start today. That's exactly right. And, you know, I, I would also mention that over the last team, last 19 months, we have seen frontline caregivers and workers in this industry step up in ways that we could never have imagined. And you know, we heard a lot in March, April, May of 2020, the term healthcare hero. And the fact that so many of our frontline caregivers really became those healthcare heroes, again, we're in a, a, an interesting position as an advocacy organization where we've got those healthcare heroes to share that, those stories, to share that message, and to share that real need for support moving forward. I think that's excellent. So in general terms, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of the word advocacy? Communication and communicating, communicating your position, communicating uh, your mission, communicating the needs of your organization, of your association, of your membership. I think communication is key and it's the most important part of advocating. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. That's why this is called Voices in Advocacy. <laughs> I, I was hoping you would get that. I was trying to make that connection. to You know, this. you just fed that, spoon fed that right to me there, Zach. I, I greatly, <laughs> I greatly, greatly appreciate you doing that. Just a couple quick other questions here. As a leader and CEO, what can healthcare associations do to create a better engagement to protect and defend your members in the community? Better, better engagement. And sorry, Roger, you broke up there a little bit. Oh, I'm, um, I'm sorry. Just okay. to create better engagement to protect and defend uh, the residents of long-term care. I mean, I think you've probably addressed a lot of that. But I want you to think about it, not necessarily in terms of the overarching industry, but you as a leader, you as the CEO, are there things that you are looking at day in and day out so that you can better serve? So that I can better serve the, um, the residents in the industry? Well, all the stakeholders you have. You have supplier stakeholders, you have the workforce, you okay. have the 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 residents that are in long-term facilities. Yeah. So one one of the first things I did when I took over this role, and again, I was with PHCA beginning in 2014. I took this role in 2019. One of the first things I did, and I think it's the most important thing a leader can do, rather than talk, is listen. And I listen to our advocates, the workers on the front lines. I listen to residents. I listen to owner operators. I listen to other stakeholders like workers unions, the hospitals, the hospital association, other groups affiliated with PHCA to determine what was important to them and what should we be focused on. I think too often, especially in a role like this, 
you can get into a, a cycle where you think you know what's best for your membership. We're up in the Capitol every day. We're talking to the legislature and we know what we can get done. And I think that's the wrong way to go. I think listening is very, very important. Hearing what's happening on the ground and hearing what you can address or what we can address in the immediate. I think that is infinitely more important than just going out with an agenda. It's helping to build that agenda with your members and with those you're working for. I think that's extremely well said. And, and Zach, I, I appreciate that. I interview people in the advocacy space that go from just being a manager of advocacy to the director level, to the VP level, to the C-suite level, to, to, to CEOs. And I know a lot of them have been moving forward in their careers when I get their bios to be able to prepare them for this. And much like you, taking the step from being in an advocacy role to, to running the organization. So my question is, running an organization can be hard. Uh, what are what do you think are the biggest challenges and advice that you can give to other people that want to aspire to get to that C-suite level? I found that the toughest part in this role or about this role is really time management and prioritization. There are so many things that our association could be doing, especially right now, for long-term care and for our members. And it's really deciding which of those are our priorities and what should be the focus and what can we realistically get done to help our members now. Too often, and I can speak from personal experience, when you try to take on too many priorities or too many goals, you find that you won't get a lot done. And I found that we've been very, very successful with identifying three, four, or five key objectives, strategic goals, and doing everything we can to achieve those goals for the members. We've been very, very successful, especially the past 19 months with doing that. That would be my advice. The toughest part is really about managing your time and deciding what the priorities are going to be. Identify those priorities and do everything you can to get them done. Yeah, bandwidth is not elastic. No, and, and I have especially found that out as a father of a 19-month-old and a, a soon-to-be father, again, because my wife is due in mid-November. Congratulations. Thank you. Wow, what a, what a, what a great way uh, to kind of put the bow on this, if you will. <laughs> uh, uh, congratulations to you and your, your family. Time you. flies, Zach. Any final thoughts, anything you'd like to add? Well, you know, you ask about goals of an association, goals of an organization, what advice, you know, what are we focused on? I think at the end of the day, the most important thing we do as an association in Harrisburg is advocate, is communicate, is educate. It all goes hand in hand. And we've been very, very successful. I've been very, very proud of this organization and our membership over the past 19 months. And I would just encourage all the listeners out there in an advocacy role to continue to amplify your voice, put your members front and center, and you'll be successful. I think that's excellent. How can people reach 
your organization or you uh, for any further information? Yeah, you can go to our website, phca.org, but I would also really encourage you to go to our social media platforms where PHCA cares on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter, Z.A. Schamberg. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. Please connect with us, see what we're doing and help us in this fight for our senior citizens in Pennsylvania. Excellent, Zach. I, I, I thank you for sharing your knowledge your, your time with us, considering time is so valuable. Uh, that's a wrap of this conversation today with Zach Schamberg, the president and CEO of the Pennsylvania Healthcare Association. Zach, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having me, Roger. Let's face it. Today's advocacy arena is just plain noisy. Organizations are stretched. You need every advantage to make sure your issue gets the attention it deserves and your voice heard. The RAP Index is the best way to do just that by finding your stakeholders' relationships and engagement power. Get past the noise. Know who your people know. Go to rapindex.com. That's rapindex.com and tell them Roger sent you for a special offer. If you like today's podcast, head over to where you find your podcasts and subscribe to the Voices in Advocacy podcast. A big thank you to today's guest. I appreciate your time and the unwavering passion for advocacy you have. Well, that's it for this episode of Voices in Advocacy. Remember, you have the power to be an effective, influential advocate. Now go out and make it a better world. We hope you enjoyed today's Voices in Advocacy podcast and look forward to you joining us again next week. To learn more about Voices in Advocacy, go to our website, voicesinadvocacy.com.